yeah, I'm just going to end the recording here. Yeah, John, thank you so much. Um, I think we covered a lot of things. One thing I wanted to talk about, but it didn't really make sense to fit it within what we were really getting at. But I, you know, I grew up Mormon and I left when I was about 17, 18 years old. I'm, I live, really? I live here in uh, Southern Idaho, right? So yeah. there's like Mormon culture out here and my family's from Utah. My parents are from Utah originally. So just coming out of the church and, and I've been meeting a lot of people or, or actually reacquainting myself with certain people I grew up with that have left the church as well. Um, and it's just always a fascinating thing to hear people's stories about how they come into this understanding that the church is kind of, you know, it's not for them to say the very least. Um, and then of course you're, again, we don't have to talk about this, but it's just this idea that you are still married to your wife, of course, who's still LDS. And that, I don't know. That, that's, that's interesting. That's been complicated. Yeah. yeah I can imagine. We, so I was like 25 and we had, I had been on a mission. I married in the temple and uh, we had already had one child, and, uh, and so when I left, it was it was a um, it was a surprise to us, but I don't think it surprised to anybody else around us because everybody else seemed to be like, yeah, we all saw that coming. <laughs> um, I, I mean, from early on, people were telling me, "You think too much about this, you're going to end up outside the church, and you know, you're going to end up apostatizing." And um, and I'd be like, no, you know what you're talking about. And, but sure enough, yeah, they were right. Uh, yep. But uh, we, we worked it out. She, uh, she's, she's a very open-minded um, Mormon, who, which has actually gotten her in trouble frequently with the, with the bishop. Um, and we basically, we ended up splitting Sundays. I would go to the Unitarian Church, uh, and I'd take the kids with me every other um, Sunday, so well, you know, we're still married, but we're acting kind of like a divorced, religiously divorced couple. So it was like, this is my Sunday, this is your Sunday. <laughs> Occasionally, she would come to the Unitarian Church, and she, you know, she's in in some ways more aligned with uh, politically, at least, with the Unitarian Church than she is with Mormonism. But Mormonism is like her. I don't know. It's it's in her bones. You know, it's like she she's the child of multiple polygamous matings uh you know uh great you know great grandchild of multiple polygamists and um so you know for her she's she's mormon in the way that a lot of people are catholic i think it's like you know they may never go to church or they may you know they may not agree with anything the church the catholic church says but they're still catholic and um that's that's her mormonism too so we admit we work She's she's struggled, especially as, um, you know, the the latest thing is with the uh, the bishops questioning the youth about sexual questions, and um, uh, you know I've got a daughter who's sixteen and a son who's he's now twenty, but um, you know they they've both been through plenty of bishops interviews, and uh, you know it, it hits pretty close to home thinking about about those issues and and she's she's been struggling with uh, with a lot of that yeah it's understandable um it's a difficult thing and and religion is such a complex um force in people's life you know it's not as simple as well okay the book of mormon isn't true or something right like then just leave the church it's there's a lot of other dynamics that come into um why a person would choose to stay in a religion or it's a it's a culture you know it's a culture of people and there's a 
there's a value system that there, I think there's inherent values in having, being a part of that, you know, and, and um, if it connects you to your family and your friends, it's really complicated. And uh, I can imagine being, you know, married and having this, you know, I mean, a lot of times those don't end up very well. I've known plenty of, of people who the, the, the man say he, starts to leave, decides to leave the church. And then the wife's like, well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You know, it's just, it can get really ugly. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are not in that situation. And although I'm sure it's not easy, um, I'm just happy to hear that, you know, it it took the better route. Yeah. We actually spoke at Sunstone once. Um, Have you ever been to Sunstone? I haven't. uh, I I had never been before I left the church, but I, I've got in-laws who are, deeply involved with it and so i ended up going afterwards and i found it actually to be really healing to realize oh my god you know not all mormons are these you know peter priesthood molly mormons it's there's actually people thinking intelligent mormons who are thinking about the same struggling with the same questions i have but they're doing it inside the church and um that was really helpful for me because like you said there's there's so many reasons for being in the church when i left i was like to my wife i was like okay i know a plus B plus C you know, equals leave the church. And it's obvious to me, why aren't you leaving? And uh, it took me a while to realize that the reasons why I was in the church weren't anything like the reasons she was in the church. Um, you know, I didn't have history and um, my parents converted when I was a toddler. So, um, and, the, and they've since left. So, you know, I didn't have all the connections that she has for one thing. And right. uh, Yeah, I understand that. Well, yeah, I just I just wanted to ask you about that, but um, yeah, I always think it's interesting to discuss that subject and and. Uh, How are you doing? Love the Book of Mormon belt and being non-Mormon. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you know, there's actually uh, I I work in this cafe. That's my day job, right? I, I make coffee, and um, I think like once a month there's this group that comes in in the evening, and they like make an appointment. You know, they set up. Uh, reservation but it's a group of like people who have left the church and they're all like people in their middle ages generally like they're all people who like they're married couples they're people who have been in the church their whole life generally and they just left i mean like some of these guys are like yeah i haven't been to church in a month and i just decided to leave because there was too many things i couldn't reconcile with and they're like a support group i mean they're a group of people that want to talk it out and have a conversation about what they're feeling and what it's like to not be a part of the Mormon community anymore. And that's a lot of times what it is, is like all of my friends are Mormon, you know, all the people, most of the people that I maybe even work with are Mormon. I I don't know what to do. Like this is a difficult um, time. This is a transition. And it's also funny because they're, you know, they may have gone their whole life without really drinking coffee or having any beer or wine or anything. And we serve beer and wine. And of course we have coffee. So like introducing a 45 year old man or woman into the world of coffee her beer is really fun it's like i'm excited for you to try this for the first time it's very different but i i'm glad you can like get a taste of it now and um and of course there's a whole, whole lot of other things that go along with that but you know it's cool yeah, yeah. i'm glad to hear that there are groups like that you know the one thing one thing that i really think the lds church one limitation is they really there's no space to talk genuinely about doubts you know it's it's stigmatized and it's treated like you know you're you you have to get through it like you know like a disease and you in the meantime 
don't infect anybody else. And um, that's one of the frustrations my wife had is anytime she tries to have a you know, kind of a heart-to-heart conversation with anybody, they go on to they switch to that defensive but the church is true mode um, where you know they can't hear criticism. And uh, I don't know. For me, it, it creates a really fragile faith that if you can't can't wrestle with the questions. Yeah. Um, if they re- if the church really, I guess, truly wanted to stop i i i sense that there's a lot more people that are leaving the church now than there used to be i don't know if that's true but i feel like there's a lot more controversies that are emerging and uh, like the one you just mentioned um but there's several others that seem to have emerged like the the church has weighed in i guess there's a high high ranking love uh high ranking members i want to say almost like the members of the 70s or the uh, the apostles or somebody, I can't remember who it was, but they're individuals that are like speaking out against medical cannabis in Utah. They're like, we don't want anything like that in the state of Utah. We need to have people vote against that proposition or anything like that. And I'm oh, sorry, go on. Bishops. Bishops. There was a letter to the bishop. Yeah. That went out and said, uh, we want you to urge your members to vote against, um, you know, medical marijuana. Yeah. So they're back telling people how to vote. Exactly. And I, and I think that that's been, um, interesting because there's a lot of people within the LDS church that are very for it because they have children that are suffering from, you know, say epilepsy or something. And, and, you know, medical cannabis has helped them immensely. And they see that as like, well, this is just one of God's many plants. I mean, if obviously it's a medicine, so why don't we use it in that fashion? So I, I think there's been quite a few different reasons. Um, actually one of the biggest ones that I've seen over and over again with these, this group that's come in is people are like, well, I started to look stuff up on Google <laughs> and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Now that the internet is so easily accessible. I mean, somebody can just look up stuff like, well, the book of Mormon, well, let me ask this question that I had. And all of a sudden they have all this information that pops up, like no serious archeologists um, believe anything that's been presented in the book of Mormon as being an actual factual representation of early America right? There's, right. there's nothing in it that matches it. So um, Mormons have a really hard time when that information comes up because they're like, oh, wait, 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 and then let me try to present this counter evidence. But there's so much that opposes that or stands up against that, that it's really hard to take a, quote, Mormon archaeologist seriously anymore, you know? Um, yeah, it was all at your fingertips. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I left, I had not read a single, what I would call anti-Mormon not a single Mormon thing. It was all like, you know, just no, nobody was trying to, you know, prove the church was, wasn't true. It was just other stuff that I was reading about, you know, that was much more either neutral and even some of the positive stuff, you know, that just didn't make sense. And, um, you know, there, there's that, there's that really kind of, I guess, nasty anti-Mormon people that are out there handing out pamphlets and stuff on the, um, Temple Square or whatever, but um, you know those were not the people that convinced me to leave the church. It, it wasn't, you know, it was just normal information available to everybody on the internet now. So yeah, exactly. And I think that that's been a problem, you know, for the church as well. So I think if they really wanted to address, I mean, I, I'm not trying to work for the church here by any means, but I, <laughs> I think if they were smart enough to kind of anticipate what was going to happen and what is starting to happen, then they would like you said, they would, they would be able to have these conversations about, about doubt in a really nuanced way, because doing what I've heard over and over again, where I would do the same thing, like you said, you know, 
you overthink it, you think really deeply about the things that are being presented, and you want to ask a lot of questions about it. I would do that. And they would just sort of not even address the question, or they wouldn't have a very satisfactory answer to it. Um, and that was always a problem for me. And, and it eventually came to a head because if, if no one is able to adequately address your doubts in your faith in the church, within the church, then you're going to feel isolated and alienated. And eventually that's going to lead to you just, you know, and, and, I, and I feel like what's happened is that a lot of people that I've known that have grown up in the church, they leave and they end up having so much resentment for the church that I feel like that's a bit unhealthy. Like I, I, I am not for the church church and I, and I kind of want people to see the light and I, and I totally encourage people to do that, but I don't have this. Um, I don't hold on to this hatred or resentment or anger about the church because that's not healthy. You know, that's not good for my own um, growth as an individual. You know, you have to kind of get past that and grow past that. Um, that's what I would ask people to do, you know, if I could, but um, yeah, it's such a fascinating uh, journey, I think, that people have to go through when they leave the church. You know, and I left when I was a teenager, but you left a little later. So I think trying to imagine what it's like to be a 30, 40 something year old person coming into this, I imagine must be pretty jarring and difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have my days where I'm like, those people owe me two years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Yeah. Um, or even out my words, you know, more like you know, twenty-five years of my life. But um, uh, but you know, I have to just constantly remind myself that I, I'm where I'm at because I, you know, I went through that. So you know, the only way the only way I could have gotten here is by going through that. Right. I wouldn't be the same. Right. You know, so, um, the name of this podcast, "Last Born in the Wilderness," and I'm uh, there's a reference very early in the Book of Mormon. I think it's in the Book of Nephi. I think there's a. I don't know if it's paraphrased from it, but there's a. I think it's after Nephi and his family, Lehi, they all left and they were in the wilderness heading towards the sea so they could build a ship to come to the promised land, right? And I think there's a mention in there about having been the last born in the wilderness, like the family was still having children, of course, out in the wilderness. And so there was a passive reference to being the last born in the wilderness. And my father, who is very religious, I'm the last of six kids. So my dad would call me that last born in the wilderness as like a term of endearment, you know? And then as the podcast evolved, I realized like, oh, it actually takes on a bit of an ambiguous meaning, yeah. you know, ecological, maybe sort of undertones, environmental issues or whatever, you know. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so- I'm going to ask you about that because, yeah, I did. It, it reminded me of I think it was talking about uh, Jacob, Nephi's brother. OK, so yeah, like, yeah, that's that's a. That's a Book of Mormon phrase. That's that's interesting. So yeah, yeah, you know, and like you said, it's like you wouldn't be who you are without having had those that experience. Like my childhood and my adolescence, I was Mormon and I was concerned with things that were related to the Mormon church. And that definitely informed my development for good or for ill, whatever, you know. Obviously sometimes I think particularly within like my sister, for instance, she has a lot of resentment towards the church. She's felt like she was traumatized, and I can understand why. I, it's more than just a feeling. I think she really was traumatized by, um, by the church and some of the the value systems of the church really affected her very deeply in a way that it didn't for me. So I think that's very real. But I, I recognize and have had a much more healthy understanding. I think of what role the church played in my upbringing, and it's allowed me to look at religion in a much more I see it as a really fascinating development and 
while it's definitely disturbing what religion is capable of, um, religious organizations in particular, not religion itself as a concept, but, you know, very rigid structures like the Catholic Church or the Mormon Church or whatever it is, um, there is a value in, in sort of stepping outside of it and then looking back inside, you know, and I had this funny moment there earlier this year, I went to Europe, I went to Dublin, and then I went to um, Scotland for a few weeks with my fiance. Actually, I proposed to her over there. And when we were in Dublin, we're just walking home at night back to our hotel. And this young man comes up to us, he's wearing a suit. He has a little Mormon, you know, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints pin. He's like, hey, guys, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, yeah, like, are you, where are you from? He's like, oh, I'm from Wyoming. And I'm like, I'm from Idaho. He's like, this is crazy. I've been here for a few months. This is, and we didn't even talk about the church. We just talked about what it's like to live in Ireland, you know? And he's like, well, here's a card, man. And I'm like, awesome. And it just reminded me how, how fascinating it is that the church will send some guy that's lived and was raised in like Wyoming or Utah or something and just float, you know, fly out in the world, you know, like I had friends that served missions in like Hawaii and Chile and Brazil and, you know, all over the world. It's such a fascinating (laughs) thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that maybe, where did you serve on your mission? Uh, Northeast Brazil. Okay. Right. So you, I mean, would you have gone to Brazil, you know, and have had that immersive experience in Brazil had you not been a part of the you know, church? And I, you know, it's the poorest part of the country, and I, yeah. I encountered poverty on a level like I, like I'd only ever seen on TV before. Sure. And, um, you know, the I actually think if I hadn't gone on the mission, I it might have taken me a lot longer to leave because that that experience like brought me. So, so here I am trying to, you know, teach Joseph Smith, this white guy in New York, through the Book of Mormon, and 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 the people I'm talking to can neither read nor do they have enough food to eat, you know, and and that 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 contrast, it it woke woke in me um, a social consciousness, you know. So I, I here I am this privileged white guy and i'm just taking all this stuff for granted that 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 all these people cannot and and then i realized you know how although i believe the church the mormon doctrine was universal how really (laughs) how really it is a very middle class white american um (laughs) philosophy and and it seems to really well in in latino countries but but you know, from from my perspective, it's it's not really well suited to the people I was talking to, who had much more immediate practical concerns. Other, you know, but um, anyway. So in, in that way, it was good, and it, it woke me up in a lot of, a lot of ways. Yeah, I just want to make one last like comment. Um, I, I well, let me ask you one question first. I really like what we've been talking about. We've gone like a half an hour or so or 20 minutes over over the official episode ending. And what I've decided to start doing is like, if I do continue to have a little discussion with people like you after the end of the episode, I was thinking like, it'd be kind of fun to release like a kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, but like a little short mini episode, like, and I could put it on my Patreon page or something. So if you feel comfortable about me releasing what we've discussed up to this point, um, regarding the Mormon church, then I'd be happy. I, I would love to release it. But if you don't feel comfortable with that, I would totally understand. 
no, yeah, that's 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 perfectly fine. Okay, that's, yeah. it'd be kind of a fun thing to kind of to release. But the second thing I just wanted to say real quick before we wrap it up, um, I think that the more and, and I want to get your thoughts on this too. But the the mission, I feel like that young. So when you're in the Mormon Church now, it's 18 years old for young men. I think it, when I was in it, it was like 19 years old was the age. Um, but when 18 year old boys get sent, oftentimes to completely different countries. Um, learning, a, they have to learn a new language within a pretty short period of time. They send you to that mission training center and you've got, depending on where you're going, several weeks or several months to kind of nail down some of the basics of this language and some of the cultural norms that you need to understand. And then they just send you there, you know, and then you're stuck there. And, you're, and the only thing you really have when you're in that place is the gospel, right? The, the thing that you're trying to teach to the people. And so I've seen two different things happen with missionaries when they come back. One is the guy like you who kind of has his faith a little shaken, like, oh, I kind of saw the world for what it is, and and uh, the church doesn't really make sense. The, the gospel doesn't really make sense within that context anymore. Um, so they come back and they, they leave the church inevitably. Um, the second one is the guy who comes back, and it's uh, young women too, of course, but mostly men. They come back and they have that like weird almost Stockholm syndrome kind of thing going on where they're like, I have never felt more connected to God and the Holy spirit in my life. I was in total service to the Lord and they know the language and they know the culture and they miss being on their mission. And they have that starry eyed look in their eyes. Um, and they're, they're changed. And that, that kind of solidifies their membership in the church and to me, that's sort of what the mission serves uh, for the church. They send these young people out. They either it either makes or breaks them. So either they're going to have lifelong members that are going to continue to have children within the church and to continue the church's legacy on to the future, or they're going to weed out people who aren't really going to cut it. You know what I mean? It, it, it's a strange phenomenon to see that happen over and over again um, within the church. And, and I love seeing people... I kind of like seeing both sides of it, honestly. I kind of like seeing that guy that comes back that's super into it and he just looks like he had the most intense two-year dream of his life, you know? Like, that's, I think, what it must feel like for them. And it's just just fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I I definitely came back conflicted um, because I also had some of the most powerful spiritual experiences of my life Mm -hmm. on mission and so it, it became difficult for me to like because uh, i i could oh, in addition to being pagan i consider myself to be an atheist now so it became difficult for me to talk explain to pagans or to atheist friends that you know i don't i don't um like i don't doubt those experiences were in some way real in because they, you know, for me, they were real, but I doubt what they meant. You know, mm-hmm. I, how I interpreted them at the time was this proves the church is true. But now it, it's much more ambiguous, vague, you know, what, what meaning those experiences had. But I don't doubt the reality. I don't think they were fantasies or delusions or, you know, whatever. And um, it, it's been it's been an interesting question I've struggled with. Like, how do I make sense of spiritual experiences that clearly have like a Mormon or a Christian context, but I'm no longer Christian or Mormon. And yet I don't want to, um, 
you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with saying that those experiences were delusional either. So, right. um, I came back really conflicted with, uh, with that. And then with the, with the other stuff, the, the doubts and the, yeah, well, I can imagine that it is really confusing. Cause I remember when I was a member, I had some spiritual experiences as well that I attributed to being Mormon, right? Like I had a, you know, I felt the Holy spirit inside me and, and I attributed it to that. And that's the same thing. And I, you know, like I've talked to Catholics who justify their absolute hundred percent belief that the Catholic church is the church because they've had all these spiritual experiences and it happened during mass or it happened, you know, with whatever um, Catholic religious function and they attribute it to the Catholic church and that being the true church. And I think that that is what's, there's something, there's a nuance to understanding this subject, which is that we are totally and completely capable of having profound life-changing spiritual experiences. Um, but the problem is the context, right? If it exists within the context of a, a, a church, like say the Catholic church, which has a lot of problems, we could say the very least has a lot of problems with it. Um, we need to understand that human beings are capable of having spiritual experiences, but they don't have to fit within a, a, a domineering kind of, uh, I hate using the term evil, but some kind of evil like organization that coerces people into doing things that are, are ultimately bad, you know, or, or puts in them a certain guilt or a certain kind of, uh, uh, personal development that is negative. You know, I, I think that there is a difficulty in trying to discuss this subject where you used, like you said, you went on a mission where you were serving the, the, the church, the LDS church's interests, but you had profound experiences doing it. And most, I think Mormons would attribute it to being Mormon. But again, it's a complicated thing. And I think that, you know, growing up um, and growing with those experiences, you gain a different perspective on them in, in time retrospectively, right? You look back at those experiences and you have a little different understanding of what that actually meant to you. And um, right. yeah, it's fascinating. The, the program we sold to the, I don't, I don't mean to use that pejoratively so much, but the, the, the program, the thing that we were teaching was that, you know, you read the book of Mormon and you pray about it. And then you have this, this, this burning in your bosom, this positive feeling. Mm -hmm. And then, you interpret that as the Book of Mormon is true, therefore Joseph Smith is true, therefore the church is true. And, um, you know, when I came back, I was like, well, wait a second. You know, just because you had this feeling doesn't mean it was an answer to this question. Like, you know, or it, right. it could have meant God loves you, or it could have meant there is no God, but the universe loves you, or it could have been some, you know, um, profound spiritual vague feeling but it didn't have any meaning you know it we it's all the interpretations that we layer onto those experiences where um and, and when of course when i'm when i was in, on the mission it all, all seemed very clear and straight that logic made perfect sense and now i look at it and go how did i ever think <laughs> that, that? <laughs> that there's so many logical that, that change thought but um yeah anyway. you know it's fun but but yeah. but point was i don't want to deny that anybody had that experience i had the feeling you know yeah. they you know they prayed and they had the feeling it was real and i want to validate that but it doesn't necessarily mean 
what we how we interpret it in a context of a given religion of course yeah no i think that those are all really good points and um yeah anyway i think we could talk about this forever but <laughs> we've been talking for a while and and i don't want to take up too much of your time um but john yeah thank you for your thoughts on the mormon church it's always fascinating to discuss that with other people that have that have had you know and, and in fact that you that you are now a pagan you know that you have this sort of pagan uh practice i don't know how you call yourself an atheist it's it's interesting to be an atheist and a pagan but i i know what you mean when you say that um but uh because i think oftentimes people think of paganism as like this religion so you must believe in this thing and there's a god and we're like no well i'm kind of an atheist but i understand what paganism is pulling us towards right and i want to be a part of that so um exactly. anyway actually oh, go on i edited a book um it's called uh, godless paganism and there's like uh, 40 different contributors to it, all varying different kinds of beliefs or no beliefs. Most of them no beliefs. Um, uh, but anyway, so yeah, there's there's quite a few atheist pagans out there. Right, and that makes a lot of sense, and I and I and I understand it. Um, paganism to me is a new. I, I don't call myself anything, um, but I admire like Reed Wildermuth's perspective. That was my first kind of realization that paganism actually can have this very political very political but very like anti-capitalist element to it and that's something he's written about too and, and i find it very fascinating that he start he you know helped generate this thing called gods and radicals which is i think presenting another perspective within leftist politics but also within paganism he's kind of bridging these things together and of course with all of the contributors like like yourself in that process so um, anyway, I, I'm just super excited to have these conversations with people and it, it just makes my day. So anyway, John, we have had a really great conversation. I would like to do this again sometime, hopefully, um, if there's another piece that comes out and, you know, as the climate catastrophe unfolds, I need to continue to have conversations with people that understand what's happening because I, I don't feel like I can talk to too many people around here in my immediate life. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. So, and, and I'm sure that may be the case for you and other people as well. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, I'll let you know when this comes out. It, it'd probably be a couple weeks before I release the official episode, and I think I'll probably release this little segment here, maybe a little sooner or a little later. I'm not sure how I'm going to arrange this, but I'll definitely let you know when I release that. Okay. All right. Um, John, thank you for your time, man. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Okay, bye.